I would just, uh, because it ties into the message today, I would I just want to highlight something, right? Why do we meet? Why, do we, why are we all gathered here? Maybe 200 plus people and a bunch of kids here today on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and I, so I just want to point out some things that we could, we probably take for granted, right? So we have people who help set up and have come and they're serving, right? As, as part of the body and they, they're doing sound and they're doing slides and then we have a worship team. What great worship it was. Just three songs, but wonderful songs today. We get to worship God together and, and, and sing to him. And then, and then we hear Todd. Thank you, Todd, for sharing. Somebody comes and shares the word of encouragement for us. And then we get to hear a message and we get to highlight folks who are doing well. And then we get to pray and then we get to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Um, all those things and more is why we meet together, right? And, and even more as the day draws near, right? And I'm going to, that that's a good lead in to what I'm going to share with you today. Um, good to be here. I always enjoy sharing the word with you all because I am super affected by it, right? So it's like the it's the week or two or three of the year when I'm really moved and, and God really speaks to me. And I, Why don't I do it every week of the year? I don't know. But when I am preparing, man, God is real. and My heart is for him and for you all. And So it's a privilege to be here. Um, one of my favorite books of all time, uh, apart from the Bible, is written by a non-believer, actually a Mormon. And it's seven highly effective... Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? If you haven't read it, I encourage uh, you all to read it. There are seven habits or points. And the second point is start with the end in mind. So if you want to live a good and fruitful life, start at your funeral and your obituary and work back. Um, if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense. And he talks about doing a mission statement. I think it's great and all that. But I think the Bible would confirm his point that if we start with the end in mind, with eternity and where we'll end up or we want it, where we want to end up, then we can kind of put a matrix together of where we, what we should do from today forward, right? And... Um, it might seem morbid to start with your funeral, but if you think about it, okay, what do you want your obituary to say about you? Fill in the blank, right? Um, uh, what do you, who do you want to be there? Like, who do you want there? there you're not there anymore, but... <laughs> who do you want to be there around in the church with you, saying things about you? Who do you want coming up to give testimony to your life and what you've been and who you were? Do you want your family there, your friends? What do you want them to say about you? Um, those are super helpful things to imagine. I, uh, I had a coach, for some of you who are familiar with the Wheaton area, Wheaton North just won, I don't know how many state football championships, but they just won another one this year. And I had a coach at Wheaton College for one year who had been at and would later go back to Wheaton North and... Uh, was a, was a high school football coach. He was there, I think, close to 30 years. And he died about 10 or 15 years ago. When they had his funeral at a church in Wheaton, it was packed out. Two generations of people came to that service. 
because this man had led FCA and preached the gospel and coached football and coached young men hard and brought in guys who needed help, guys who didn't have dads. For almost 30 years he'd done that and they couldn't get enough people in there and they, they had to cut off the time of people speaking about him, right? There were fathers and sons. Several of my best friends to this day were saved by going to FCA and attending Wheaton North High School from Jim Raxilius. We know him as Coach Rex, and he's, I think, in the Hall of Fame of coaching in high school football, but that isn't what mattered. What mattered was a packed house, including his kids and his wife, who he'd been married to for 50 years, and all these people who gave testimony to his life, a faithful life that ended relatively short at the age of 71. The, the, the book I just, the seven highly effective habits of people, the seven habits of highly effective people is a good, a good book, but the Bible would also highlight similar concepts or the idea that we should live with the end in mind. I'm going to reread a short part of the passage that Elise just read, and then I'm going to pray before we get started. Actually, I'm going to pray, then I'm going to read it again. Father, please help us to hear from you, to focus for a few short minutes, to ingest things that are important from you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit you have deposited in all the believers here, you would flow up out of and let them have open ears and open eyes and open hearts to hear from you. And, and any that don't know you, I pray, God, that you would convict any that need to be convicted today. And, and please let your word and this message be like a mirror to shine upon a life that we would look at it and be changed or desire to change, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 23, again, it's Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I have five points, pretty straightforward, and a summary. First point, pretty obvious, hold fast. Hold fast, for he is faithful. The Greek word of holding fast is, is actually an image. It's sort of a construction type of image for any of you guys who are unlike me or handy. But if you think of either a square and how they use a square to keep a, a building straight, when they're, when they're uh, framing up a building, or even maybe more familiar to us is a level. So if you think of a level, and you know how you want your picture to be totally straight, you put the level up there and you keep the bubble between the lines, right? This word is sort of like, keep your bubble between the lines in Jesus. That's, kind of the, that's, that's the image that the author is trying to project here. Keep your, don't waver too far to the right or too far to the left in your hope of Christ, but keep the bubble between the lines. Um, the, the verses previous in not only uh, 
Hebrews 10, but earlier in the passage, even going back to where Todd shared, is that we, we have a hope, and our hope is in Jesus, and the hope that His blood paid the price for us, that we would get a verdict of not guilty, and the curtain was torn, and that we can look forward to the end with hope for lots of things. That's the hope that we have to cling to and keep inside of that, those lines. That's where we need to keep our bubble level. Um, and, and he alludes to the fact, well, may, well, he alludes to the fact that people forget this, and, and really this was the first generation of believers, right, that Hebrews was, was directed at. And so even the first generation need to be reminded of this. How much more, many, many, many generations down the road, do we as a family of believers need to be reminded to, to hold fast to the hope in Jesus, that he is faithful. Now, when I was preparing, uh, actually last night and this morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of laid something on me a little bit, and, and Josh kind of confirmed it. So, um, holding fast can be thought of maybe in some ways as, man, we've got to try harder or do better, right? And I confirm that Jesus and God your Father always wants you to try hard at whatever you do, including following Him. But the emphasis is always on Him being faithful. And I know at any point in time, a large percentage of you out there and maybe those who would listen or watch this, um, are, are struggling, right? And maybe the idea of holding fast is hard, and it seems too hard, and I don't know, I don't know how to try harder. I can't try harder. It's beyond me. Well, that's, I just want, I, I think you need to hear that the Lord would say, that's okay. That's not a place you want to be in forever. You don't want to, like, hope to be that way for the rest of your life, but that's okay. And the Lord put on my heart Isaiah 42.3. Should be familiar to anybody like me who has times of struggle. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I, I think there's some folks who need to hear that, that even a smoldering wick, which means it's not like this big campfire, there's only a little smoke coming from it. The Lord preserves that, right? And he, he, he understands that. You can, it's great to be a big reed that you can swing and hit things with, but we're, it's okay to be a broken reed. Some of you are broken reeds and smoldering wicks, and that's okay. You're not outside of the body. You're part of this. You could still hold fast, or in this case, he may be holding fast to you more than you're holding fast to him. As much as you want to keep your bubble in the lines, he's keeping the bubble in the lines. He's reminding you of who he is. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. We need to hold fast, but he's faithful. And what do we hold fast to? The hope in Jesus Christ, that he'll do what he said he'd do, pay the price for us, and give us an eternity that will come soon, that's, that's pointed to in that end day. Hold fast, he is faithful. Point number two, consider how to motivate other believers, or stir up, as the Bible says. The idea used in this passage of stirring up is, like, think about 
a hornet's nest and maybe you have it on a stick and everything's calm and you shake it up real hard and then, right? That's stirring up, right? You're doing something to cause a big buzz and a, and a commotion and, and, and things to be stirred up. Um, we're called to stir up people to love God and love others. That's the good works that the, the author is referring to. Um, I would refer you to Matthew 22 where Jesus declares that um, loving God and loving others kind of summarizes everything we need to do as believers. In John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you do this with love, if you have love for one another. And so um, the idea here is, okay, church, this is the writer speaking to that church, the the, 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 the intended audience then, but it's to us now. So what are we to do? We're to stir one another up. We're to stir one another up to love God and to love each other. All right? So how do you do that? Like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Oh. Well, yes, you do. We all do. We all know how to motivate and stir things up. I'm, I'll use a simple example in my life, in my business. We market you know, several folks in the church here work with me, and we market and we sell my business. And so we have a strategy. We have a plan. We don't sit around and go, oh, man, what are we going to do? No, we, we sit down and we write stuff down and we read books and we listen and we, we take out ads and, and we, we actually have a plan for stirring up business, if you would, right? To driving our business to profitability. Um. So there's kind of two, two phases, I would say, two takeaways for you. How can you strategize on how to stir people up in the church here? Well, one, be stirred up yourself. Like, I'm the biggest advocate of my business. Anybody I talk to, I try and upsell them. I try and make sure they're happy. I try and ask them if they know anybody else could use our products. I, I encourage the others to do that as well, but I start with myself. I do what I need to to stir myself up. That's the first and maybe the most effective way you can stir up your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, the kingdom of God, is by being stirred up yourself, by loving God better and loving others better, right? Come up with a plan to do that. There's lots of ways, but that would be the first takeaway on how to Stir up the church to love God and love others. And the second, tied to it, is just, just have a plan. It could be a simple plan. My wife and I just saw a movie the other day, we, we liked it a lot, called King Richard, kind of about the tennis story of uh, Serena and Venus Williams. Very good. One of the things, their dad, King Richard, their dad was Richard, he, was, he had this whole plan. From the, before they were born, he'd kind of written out a plan about having his two girls go on to be the best tennis players in the world. He, literally, he wrote it out before they were born. And, uh, but one of, the one, of the thing, one of the girls had a sign, and when they'd play tennis, when they're practicing, he'd put the sign up, and it said, if you are failing to plan, you are planning to fail. Right? Ben Franklin actually said that. It's, good, it's a good little verse. But they'd put that up there, and they'd work their plan, right? Um, we, can have, we need to have a plan to motivate people, right? You probably, if you want your kids to love Jesus better, have some kind of a plan. If you want to love Jesus better, if 
you want to love others better, have some kind of a plan. Have a strategy. We're to consider, this is the word of God to us, consider how you, not the pastors, they need to too, but not the deacons, how can you stir others up to love God and love each other better? How can you do that? You can come up with a better plan than I can, I'm sure. Just think about how we all, especially those of us who are married, like, do you ever, wives probably in particular, always trying to figure out, how can I motivate my husband to, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Like, mow the grass, lose weight, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You know, why, husbands the same for wives. How can you motivate your wife to do fill in the blank? Or we do that for kids. Take a lesson from those things in life on how to strategize, on how to motivate um, each other and the body for what we're called to do. Look, if, kingdom, if the kingdom matters, and it does, and making disciples matters, and it does, then stirring up believers to good works for the kingdom matters. That's part of what you're called to do. Not just Josh or me or anybody else. You are called to that. Consider how to motivate other believers. Keep meeting together. Point three. Studies show globally that one-third of the adults in the world today are lonely and have no regular means of meeting with other people that gives some feeling of belonging. third of the people, right? So, like, hopefully it isn't that broad in Christendom, but that means like one-third of the folks here, one-third of the adults out there right now are lonely and have no relationships, or no credible or meaningful relationships. We, um, We weren't created to be alone. We just weren't. Going back to the Garden of Eden, Adam wasn't meant to be alone. We weren't created that way. Um, one of the most significant things senior citizens, citizens can do to prolong their life is have more social activities. That's a fact. Studies show that. You can add, I think, one to three years to your life by doing that. Jody and I, in the month of October, spent some time down in the villages. I don't know if any of you know the villages, but it's 150,000, 55 and over people that are retired there with lots of social activities. The, I, your chance increases to live longer by going and moving to the villages when you're a retired person versus living off by yourself. We had a, a, a guy we met there. He was a real nice guy, funny guy. But he talked about his, he was a blue-collar guy from New Jersey, and he had a, um, a friend who'd retired. I think he'd been like a journeyman plumber in New Jersey his whole life, like, you know. Um, uh, and he retired, and he was in New Jersey, he didn't have a lot of family, and in the winters he would sit in, he'd never come out, and he was gaining weight, and he was getting depressed, and he was doing nothing, and, and his friend said, you're just going to die. You know, you're in your late 60s, you're just going to die. And the guy would sleep in because he didn't want to wake up. And he'd watch TV, and he'd, he'd go to bed, you know, eating bad food, and, and really um, not even wanting to get up. And this, this guy talked his friend into coming down to the villages. And so he came and visited. He loved it so much. He sold his house. He came. And the guy was transformed, right? He was, at 7 a.m., he's playing pickleball. At 
10 a.m., he's going out in the golf course. At 1 p.m., he's doing like volleyball in the pool or whatever they were doing over there. And then at night, he's out at the town square dancing the night away with his free music out of the town square with hundreds of other 55-plus folks. And his life had been transformed. He said it was like the most, I don't know what, how, his, how he described it to me, but his friend said something like, it was one of the most transformative things in his life. Obviously, obviously that's not eternal. It's just an illustration. And the illustration is this. Um, that we need to meet together. We need others. We need the body. Even the secular world, world needs that as well, but we need the body. We were cre- created and meant to be with others. The Bible instructs us to do it. So even if it wasn't physiologically good for us and spiritually good for us, the, Lord, the, Lord, the Bible tells us in several places, meet together. And, it, and the indication here is, is there was some habit that folks were getting into of not meeting together. Now, I don't know what that looked like for the, this early church, but I think the implication is they had been meeting regularly, and then they weren't. And it was a bad habit, and they need to change that habit. Um, we're in a season right now where, you know, the Zoom season, the COVID season, right? Now, from a business perspective, I actually kind of like the idea that I don't have to go to New York, really. I can just sit there and do my Zoom calls. Um, I, I actually kind of like that. And there's some merit to it. There is now not a lot of merit to Zoom church. And, I, and I'm, this isn't directed at anybody or that idea of listening to a po- podcast or having a TV pastor or something like that. Um, for some people, that's understandable. If you're homebound and things like that. And I'm not, um, uh, but you can't get a hug when you're home listening to a, a podcast. You can't um, have somebody pray for you. You can't shake hands. You can't come in here and laugh. You can't commiserate with somebody. You can't share with somebody when you're, when you're not here or, or in community group or a house church, whatever it is, just where a group of people are meeting together. Um, I think the, the exhortation and the idea of meeting together, um, I can just share with you Thoughts I have, right? I don't even have, I'm not even preaching to anybody else. I'm just preaching to myself here. What are the reasons why I might get out of the habit of going to church? Well, foremost, for me, is I'm lazy. I mean, all things being equal, equal, I'm generally inclined to be lazy than not lazy, just all things being equal. My wife's the opposite, right? She's inclined to be industrious and not. But I, I am that way. And so I think there's reasons we can be, we just be lazy, we can be depressed. When you are depressed, either clinically or just melancholy or have some kind of mental um, uh, troubles, like you don't want to be around people, right? I, that's understandable. That's the way I am. Sometimes when I'm not f- feeling that enthusiastic, I don't want to come to church. I don't really want to be around anybody, right? That's, um, sometimes I feel like I'm not right with God. Like, oh, I can't go to church I just, man, I've really had a bad week. I, you know, was impatient with my wife, didn't do well at work, didn't have any quiet times, you know, I'm not going to come to church. That's like, you know, that's like somebody saying, oh, I need stitches, but I don't want to bloody up the emergency room. I'm not going to go to the doctor's office. I'm going to stay home, right? Bleed bleed at home, right? Doesn't make sense. Um, But sometimes that's the way I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. You know, I have, 
I have so many problems, and people are tired of, hear, tired of hearing about my problems, right? People, people think that. I think that sometimes. Like, they don't need to hear about my issues. Um, uh, earlier this year, it was a very hard time for our family for reasons some of you know. And, like, you know, there's an inclination to want to isolate and be alone and not have to a- answer questions or be around people, right? So that would be another reason. Um, but, but none of them are... They're all reasons and they're all valid, but I think if any of those reasons resonate with you, and, and COVID, you know, I understand this is a season for being careful, and this isn't a shout out to anybody in the, in the COVID world, but, but there are lots of reasons not to meet, not very many good ones. I might even argue outside of being required to be homebound or maybe having some, uh, you know, COVID sort of concerns. Most of the reasons in my heart are not, are not valid reasons, right? The reasons that I need to resist and I need to actively look to go meet with men, look to meet with couples, and look to be at church. Hebrews 13 earlier says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I want to remind you again, the, the, the way the enemy works is the people who are most inclined probably not to come to church or care group or community group are, are people who are in a season like my wife and I were earlier in this year where you, you are a smoldering wick a little bit. Man, you're just like hanging in there. You know, you're, you're a broken reed where like you don't understand what's going on and you don't, you don't have all the answers. And those are, that's when you probably are most susceptible to give up the habit of meeting regularly. And so I would just recognize that. Any of you here who, who, who f- have experienced that or experienced that, like, man, I'm, I'm just struggling. Um, that's understandable. The Lord understands that. Cry out to him and let him know. And we'll have some time before communion where we can just address that before God. Help me, God. Pray. Help me meet with the people I need to meet with. Help me do the things I need to do to meet regularly. Because the Lord calls me to. And this is good for my soul and this is good for the kingdom. Keep meeting together. Point three. Moving on to point four. Encourage each other. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What do we, what, what do we encourage with and how do we encourage? Well, we help... We help First, we help encourage people not to waver and to hold fast, right? Point one. That's one of the things we can encourage in. We can look to proactively find and target people who are having a hard time holding fast to the gospel or holding on to Jesus and losing sight of Jesus, right? We can target them. and We can encourage them. We should, that they don't drift away. Everybody's inclined to drift away. I say this all the time, and it's so true. If you're not paddling, you're drifting away. So even if it's small, little, feeble paddles, if you aren't paddling, you're drifting away from where you want to go. So target people who might be drifting. Pray for them. Encourage them. Speak to them. Invite them to things. Um, Back to the strategy. Maybe have a strategy as a family or as a believer or as a follower of Christ. How can I encourage somebody this week in my family and church, or both, to hold fast, to keep meeting, 
to keep encouraging, to keep the, the picture of the end in mind? How can I do that? Have a strategy. Lots of folks here invite people over, new people or people who don't get invited over a lot. That's a great strategy, but there's lots of them. We need to remind each other. We need to help each other keep fighting the good fight, right? We're all inclined to give up. What did uh, Lombardi used to say? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Um, Fighting and, and persevering makes cowards of us all, right? We need each other. We need to help each other to keep going. Um, sports does a good job of demonstrating that, that like, you know, you need a coach, you need other people, and people won't give up if they have the coach and the people around them. They'll keep moving towards the goal if they have help. Encourage, find somebody to encourage. We're all weak. We're all inclined to give into our flesh. We just are. I'm a long-standing elder, one of the oldest members of this church, and I'm inclined to give into the flesh all the time. Like, I could go, I could preach a sermon to you on how I'm inclined and how easily I am sidetracked and how quickly I lose perspective. Encourage one another to keep our gaze on eternity. I was just at a, the last elders meeting we were at. Um, I was just reminded of the, the beauty of encourage, encouragement. The, the, some of the guys took just a few minutes just to encourage me because it was my last elders meeting for a while, or maybe ever, who knows, but, but uh, and you know, it's just meaningful, right, you're just reminded, you're reminded that, yeah, your life does matter, and some people remember some things, several people shared things that I didn't remember that I'd said, or how I'd encouraged them, and it was a very sweet time, I came away very encouraged, it was just a very short time, but I think if some of you are like me, we, we can be inclined to always be looking at what we don't do and how we failed and how I wasn't as good a parent as I wanted to be and I'm not as good a husband as I want to be and I, oh, I could have done so much better at business and, oh, I need to lose weight and like on and on and on and you just lose sight of the fact that there is grace in all of our lives, probably a lot more than we see and the way we can see that is if someone else encourages you and points that out, right? I, I don't want to get in trouble here but, but it's almost like Christian magic, right? And by that, I, I don't mean, you know, ma- I mean, what, what I mean is, like, if you encourage somebody, they come away wanting to serve Jesus more and feeling good about the kingdom. You feel good because you encourage them, and the whole body's stirred up, right? It's like this pixie dust that goes out, like, um, think, think about it. I'm, I'm thinking of Proverbs 16. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. That's true. Um, when my, we had, for my birthday, I just turned 61. I know I don't look like it, but I am that old. Um, uh, I had usually lots of times in our, you know, the history of our family and birthdays, we'll take time just to encourage that person. But I, I wanted everybody in my family um, who's there at our, my birthday to like share with everybody else, right? So we all took turns sharing about all the different people. And, and there were tears shed, right, in our family. Like, there are people who were moved in my own family, and we know each other well, and there was tears shed by many people. But just going around and, and telling, you know, their brother or their sister or their mom or dad what, was, what they were encouraged by and the meaningful things. It was like, again, pixie dust in the Tatum family. It was wonderful. I tell you, um, husbands, 
Encourage your wives. You'll be surprised how motivating that is to your wives and vice versa. Wives, encourage your husbands. Encourage your kids, right? Um, I think there's nothing um, more encouraging in the times when, like, coaches would say to me, hey, it's all on you. I know you can do it, right? Like anybody who's played sports, you want to be in that position. You want your coach to believe in you. You want your dad to believe in you and your mom to say, hey, you got this. I'm for you. You are great. You're gonna, you, you love Jesus. He's going to get you through this. I trust you to find your way. There's just so many ways we can encourage, and it unleashes power for the whole body. We can encourage coworkers, even if they're believers or not, and we should always be encouraging the body. That's what we're called to do. Again, encourage each other as the day draws, draws near. That was point four, encourage each other. The last point, I think I'm on time here. Everything in this passage, and even the, the verses before talking about what Jesus did and who he is and how the curtain was torn, everything is po- pointing towards a day, the day, as it draws near. Second Peter is a very familiar passage, Second Peter 3.8. And I think this is probably one, if not the passage or idea that the author of Hebrews was referring to when he was talking about the day. And let me read it for you. Second Peter 3.8-13. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. For the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will, come, will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, oh, so that's, that's the end. The Hebrews 1 that Todd shared up here even had elements of that, right? The whole Bible has elements of this day. There's going to be destruction. Um, there's going to be a day that's coming. Um, things will be destroyed. Things will be built up again. We, we have... Um, several different promises, and I have some other verses, but the idea is there is a time that's coming that is real, and it has to do with judgment, has to do with fulfillment, has to do with new things, has to do with rewards, and it has to do with uh, the end of um, this epic in the history of mankind, right? Right? Philippians, um, here's a few more verses I want to share that point to this. Philippians 1 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, that day. 2 Corinthians says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, good or evil. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth, there is laid up for me, for us, the crown of righteousness. That's a good thing to look forward to. Which is the Lord, the righteous drudge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all 
who have loved His appearing, and I would add, have, have not wavered in their hope and the confession of their hope. Those are good things. Few just ideas of what the day means or, what, or, or concepts about the day as we're to look forward to it. This whole passage, in fact, all the things that are shared in this passage says all the more as the day draws near. So it's coming close. It's nearer than you think. He describes it as a thief, right? In other passages, he says, uh, Jesus says something like to the effect that, hey, if you knew a thief was coming tonight, you'd stay up and catch him, right? <laughs> or you'd have the police there. But the, the concept is you don't know when it's coming and you're not ready for it. So the, so the real idea behind this is you're probably not ready for it. I was trying to think of an example. It's a little bit of a, some of you might have heard this story, but about 15 years ago, we were uh, in Florida, my family and Toby's family, and we were on a beach between two islands, and my brother led me astray as always. He, he swam out to this little, uh, little sand, sand inlet, little sand, kind of a little sand island, just about a five-minute swim out from the shore, and he was out there, and it was about chest high, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to swim out there too. And, but I went down and told my wife, so I walked further down the shore and told my wife, hey, I'm going to swim out there where Tobe is. And so what we didn't know is there was a very strong undertow and current between the islands going out towards Cuba. <laughs> and when, I walked, when Toby swam, it carried him right to it, but when I walked down further, I was now past, you know, on the other side of that. So when I started swimming out there, I was going against it. It took me a really long time. I was getting very tired. I, I couldn't hardly, it was almost like swimming in place. And I finally got up there where I got my toes in it, and it was about here, and Toby's trying to get me, but he realizes it's, if he gets too close, it's going to sweep him off, so he can't really help me. And so for a long time, I'm just trying to get up there, and I can't. And then finally, I let go, and like, boom, I'm like, I'm heading for Cuba, fast. <laughs> and, I ha and I, you know, threw away all, all, I wasn't worried about what people thought. I just started screaming. Toby, yell at these boats. There was a couple boats that were within a hailing distance. Scream at them and have them come get me. Seriously, do it now. And like Toby's like there and he's yelling over to Jody and, you know, Josh and Treasure and Chelsea are crying. Where's daddy going? And, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. In five minutes, I'm out of voice range. Like they can't hear me anymore. And I'm bobbing up and down, I'm treading water, and I'm kind of, I'd spent too much energy swimming over there. And I remember I had this thought, and this is why I bring this point up, although there's a few other relative points. <laughs> I thought this when I'm out there, who would have thought this is the day I'm going to die? Like I just, I'm going to come on the beach with my kids on a vacation. And I literally for quite some minutes thought I was going to die. And I thought, who would have thought this is the day? This is the day which would have been actually the, the precursor to the day, right? Once, once you die and we, wherever we go until the judgment day. And so like I just had those, of all thoughts, that's what I had. Who would have thought this was my day? And, and luckily, by God's grace, I felt like that, uh, you know, a, a wick snuffed out. Like I was starting to take in water. I'm just like keeping my head. And like, but I still had a little hope that finally... They got some boat to come out and get me, and I was probably a quarter of a mile or half a mile out into the ocean, and it, was just, it just kept pulling, pulling me out. And, but, but, I, but I was rescued, and 
Um, um, but I just had that thought that, that he's trying to convey here. The day is coming sooner than you think. And it's going to catch everybody off guard. I think that's the implication, right? Even those of us who are you know, trying to keep it inside, it's still going to probably surprise us, right? Either Jesus is going to come in the clouds or you're going to die. And that's going to be a precursor, right? And it's probably very likely going to come sooner, quicker, and more dramatically than you think. Thank you, Lord, for letting me have a little more time here on, on the earth. And the funny thing that we always give Josh a hard time about is he was crying and he goes, Mom, will, will we get a new dad if dad doesn't come back? <laughs> and he was young. He was young. There is a time, there is a day, there will be judgment. But we have the seed of the good work that Jesus has started in us that he's going to finish. And we will receive the crown of righteousness. We, we by being faithful and clinging to Jesus, um, for those of you, again, and any of us who are tired of the fight, and, and it's a fight, and, it's, and we feel like it's, um, there's brokenness all around, and hurt, and and you can, you can make, you know, there's a litany of things, right? Mental illness, politics, countries, race things, family things. There's just a lot of brokenness. That's going to be gone someday. On that day, that all goes away, or, or in some order. That goes away, right? That's something to look forward to, right? Um, I'm kind of a combative person by nature, so sometimes I kind of enjoy the conflict. But even I, as I get into my 60s, like there's so much junk, Right? So many divorces and so many homeless and things on TV and not to make you young people cynical, but like after years and years of that, I'm kind of ready for a new, a, new, a new earth and a new heaven, right? I'm kind of ready for not having to fight or to struggle or to see people struggle or, or see hurt and, and, and evil that I just I can't do anything about, right? I'm looking forward to that day. We should all be looking forward to that day. It should be sobering. And I think that's the way the Lord plans it for all of us. It should be sobering. There should be some sobering day as we look to judgment. Even though the price has been paid, it's still a courtroom, right? There's still something that has to happen there that all that we deserve is taken from us. And all that we deserve, some who don't have Jesus are going to have to bear themselves that should be sobering, right? However it plays out, and nobody knows for sure. That should be sobering. But it's also the time we get our crown. And it's the time that right is made right, and evil is done away with, and there's no more tears, right? That's a hopeful thing, right? And so the progression of this passage to holding fast without hope, to considering how to stir one another up, to keep meeting together, to keep encouraging one another. All that progresses because the day is near and we're, to be called, we're called to look to that day and, that, and to anticipate that day and be ready for that day. In summary, why do we hold fast? Why do we try and stir up? Why do we meet together and why do we encourage? Well, it's just as I highlighted, it's because there's a day coming sooner than you think and you don't want to be caught off guard. 
It's a good day for us who are believers. If you don't know, if you don't know Jesus, then it probably won't be a good day, and then now would be the day to do something about it. If you're uncertain about it, we're going to take some time before communion. Like if, you know, God isn't afraid of your doubts or your struggles or, or questions. Throw them up to him. That's what he does. He's a good father. Little good fathers don't reject their kids' questions, right? Even if, even if they're foolish. So if you have doubts as a believer or not a believer, throw them out in a few minutes to him, right? Like, do you not feel ready for that day? Does it give you more uh, of an unsettled feeling than you might should have for that day as you look toward it? Throw it out. But it is coming. Whether you want it to or not, or you believe in it or not, it's coming. And there is accountability and judgment involved, along with the crown of righteousness. And the tears will be wiped away, and evil be, will be wiped out, and the deceiver will be judged and put away. We'll all be made new. So even now, if you're that wick with just little embers or smoke coming from it or a broken reed, it's only going to be for a short little while. Hang in there. Hold fast. The good news is coming. The good news is that we have, a, we have access to the Father through Jesus. All things will be made new. So as we transition and get ready in a few minutes to have communion, this is a great precursor to communion. I want to have a couple takeaways for us. Um, and the first one is it's just sort of like, hey, you're here, you've taken the time to be here, you've listened patiently through this. Deal with your heart and your heart with God in relation to this day that's coming right now. Just take a few minutes, or I'm going to give you a few minutes to just deal with that. Now, you can be in all different spots. You could be like in a really good spot, and I hope you are. Then take some points away of how you can be an encourager, or how you can hold fast, or how you can stir others up, or how you can be, make a difference in the kingdom. Do that with the, with the moments I'm going to give you as you pray and get before the Lord. But if you're, if you're really maybe feeling like I was eight months ago, where you're like, oh, man. I just, I'm just like, you know, barely getting along. I know there's a God. I trust God. I just, I just don't have any joy. And I just don't have answers to all the questions. Then just take a few minutes to throw that on God's back, on Jesus' back. He's there to bear that for you. That's why he came. So you don't have to carry that load. Throw it on him. Be very candid and clear on what you want to throw on his back. And then throw it on his back. He welcomes that. But also just encourage you to um, think about, even as you're doing that, or, or even if you, maybe you're in a good place, um, think about who and how you could encourage some folks or stir up some folks to be more kingdom-minded or have a better kingdom perspective, right? And the best place is always to start in your sphere of influence, right? So start with you. If you're single, start with your roommates or your whoever you work with. If you're a family, start with your family unit, your wife or your kids. But just from that circle, move outward to your church, to your community, to, your, to wherever you are. And I think, Lord, ask God specifically to bring to mind some person or people that you could encourage in the Lord. 
And then ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to you right now how you should respond in light of the day that's coming.